0: listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. I'm your host, André Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann stock. Hello! <laughs> hey, son, hey, son. Woo! Annika, welcome back! Woo, Welcome back to the show!
1: <laughs> hello, hello! I'm happy to be back. <laughs>
2: yeah, good to have you here.
0: Nice of you to help, help us out in these difficult times. You might have heard that we have a shortage of uh, presenters lately. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, good to have you back. So, what have you been up to?
1: Well, I just noticed that I was here um, like 10 episodes ago, which is pretty funny so i was in 220 and now it's 230 and i'm back mm. so pretty cool i have to say all right yeah okay. right now i'm enjoying my summer holidays pretty much
0: okay so schools are closed do you do anything like private teaching or anything uh during the summertime or you actually enjoy your summer
1: i actually enjoy my summertime
0: <laughs> good 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 yeah Scotty must be very happy about that too. Oh,
1: he is. <laughs> Still in home office. So yeah, we can enjoy the time.
0: Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> ah, okay. So what's the, what's the situation with the lockdown and restrictions and all that?
1: A lot of companies are still in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Most schools are not anymore, but because summer holidays are either coming up or are happening right now, um, it's not that bad right now. Yeah, I think Northern Australia is still a major troublemaker. Oh. <laughs> so also the major lockdown situation, location. But mm. yeah, I think we're doing okay-ish. It could be better, of course, but it could also be way worse if you look across the ocean, for example. Mm. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, even if even if it's not very well coordinated on a European level, the action against the virus, I think the different countries have their own uh, pretty good answers to to how to deal with it, except for a few like the UK. But um, they're probably getting there after a while. So what about Sweden, Pontus? It's
2: unchanged basically because we have never, yeah, because we've never had really had a lockdown. We have the same. Same rules as before. Yeah, The schools are clo- closed for summer now, so that's yeah. pretty relaxed in a way. And still, down south where I live, mm-hmm. there isn't a lot of uh, cases even. So uh, it's mostly up in-, in Stockholm, a little bit more now also on the west coast of Sweden, but uh, fairly under control, I would say.
0: Yeah, here in Hungary, it's still very similar, so not much change. but. again we haven't had too many cases overall and uh it's always something that the government can uh, can brag about yeah of course it's Orban's uh he f- he fixed it. Very well done, Orban. Obviously, the Europeans, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Have you heard that uh, the European Southern Observatory lost a star? A star? <laughs> a-, a real star? Uh, uh... Yeah. You know, that it's down in northern Chile, a mm. very large telescope. It's a massive installation. It's pretty big. And they were following a massive star and all of a sudden disappeared. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That must be disappointing. It was cool because they were following the situation very closely. So measurements indicated that it was very close to its end of its lifetime. (laughs) But then um, they didn't expect it to disappear. So what they expected to happen was that it becomes a supernova. And instead of becoming a supernova, it might have just gone into the phase of a black hole. So it does happen occasionally that uh, a massive star just collapses into a black hole
2: somebody just switches off the light yeah it's pretty much <laughs> down like that <laughs> but do they think that's what's happened or is it just maybe i heard maybe that there was some sort of dust cloud in in between or something that could be
0: yes and that it might be obscured yeah. partially obscured by by the dust uh-huh. and obviously it became the brightness change became pretty pretty hmm. big that is that is pretty cool it's a great thing of science uh, but uh i think there will be a lot of material on it afterwards they're obviously looking for it uh looking to find out what happened to it so uh yeah we'll just keep an eye out for it but we're not just a science show we are a, a show on skepticism related stuff so we should probably move on to those and our guest host, Annika, will be the one presenting This Week in Skepticism. So what happened This Week in Skepticism, Annika?
1: Actually, something really cool because this week in skepticism, but 135 years ago, Louis Pasteur successfully administered a rabies vaccine and saving um, the life of the boy that he did that to, um, which it was on the 6th of July, 1885. And for those who don't know, um, Louis Pasteur was a French biologist and he's most famous for developing ideas about vaccines um, a bit further. And also he discovered the um, principles of pasteurization, which is named after him, mm-hmm. and he created vaccines for rabies and for anthrax. Also, I want to sh- uh, name that it, his medical ethics were controversial at that time because he wasn't a doctor, a medical doctor, still administered vaccines. So he was a bit controversial, but nevertheless, he saved um, countless lives by with creating these vaccines. And yeah, because that was this week, it's definitely notable.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, um, he saved this boy's life right after giving him autism, right? Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, fake news.
2: Fake news. Fake news.
0: Says who? The who. (laughs) Oh, the who. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So, well done, Louis Pasteur. And thank you very much, Annika. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to the next important segment that we have, which is when Pontus pokes Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. That's me, then.
2: (music) Last week, an extraordinary commissioner was appointed by Francis, and he ordered a raid into an entity called the Fabric of St. Peter, or... La Fabrica di San Pietro. Do you know that, András? You have, you know most of uh, about Italy, right? No, not most. No, no, no. Uh, among us three, maybe. Ah, uh, oh, probably,
0: yeah. I hope so. Yeah.
2: Right. For those who are not aware, that's the body or the entity responsible for the maintenance of the St. Peter's Basilica, including the conservation and the maintenance, taking care of uh, lots of uh, famous artworks, storing them if they are not on display and tidying them up. (laughs) I guess they get dusty sometimes, like Michelangelo's statue, Pietà, things like that. Very 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 valuable things.
0: Although I have to say that uh, Michelangelo's Pieta is uh, behind a glass window since the 1970s when a Hungarian guy went up to it and uh, started dismantling the statue with a hammer. I didn't
2: know that. (laughs) (laughs) Not a bad, not a good idea. Don't try this at home. But um, I guess uh, it still needs to be dusted off once in a while I believe. And if it does, then it's the La Fabrica di San Pietro who is in charge of that. Anyway, this new commissioner, and his name is Archbishop Mario Giardanato. he um, ordered this raid and they confiscated documents and computers for investigation into possible irregularities. He was just appointed a few days before this, and uh, his task is to, quote, update Uh, The Fabrica Statutes shed light on its administration and reorganization, its administrative and technical offices. So apparently there are allegations of nepotism, inefficiencies and financial financial shenanigans in that organization. So it's quite exciting stuff. Can't be. Nepotism doesn't happen within the Catholic Church. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Hasn't ever. <laughs> no, probably not. But if it has happened, I'm sure this special commissioner will find it out. <laughs> well, anyway, this is just the next step in um, France's fight against corruption and against problems in the finances in the holy see and the vatican and as we have reported earlier he has taken more and more control over the church money per se lately mm-hmm. i think it's always been his ambition to do this and he doesn't like the fact that the church is accumulating a lot of money i guess he doesn't mind the money but he does not like the way that people are getting rich or or maybe are you know skimming the cream off the top on, on the money of, of the Vatican. So that it's ideological. He, he's the first ever Jesuit Pope, and he took his papal name after Francis of Assisi, who was a big proponent of living in poverty and, and not uh, accumulate a lot of riches. He has also spoken a lot about how his ideal is that the Catholic Church should be, quote, the poor church for the poor, So that sounds strange. I I don't think he wants the church to be poor but it should be for the poor. Uh, So it's offensive for him to to hear about church officials enriching themselves. Mm -hmm. Also, there is the Current financial crisis due to the Peter Spence scandal last year and uh, lost donations due to the pandemic, uh, which we've also mentioned before, we have said this before as well, that there is um, an estimated loss of 160 million euro projected for, for 2020. For the Vatican, and that's bad news. So he needs to take a grip over the money. And maybe I should just mention the Peter's Pence scandal. If, if for people who have forgotten, who haven't heard of it, uh, there was actually two things. One was that the money collected via Peter's Pence, which is a is a fund, was largely diverted into deficits in the Vatican instead of going to the poor, which was advertised when they collected the money. And the other scandal was that. Another part of the money went to a huge real estate investment in London. Uh, Again, that wasn't really supposed to happen. So ideology and necessity are both driving Francis' quest to clean up uh, the the Vatican financial situation. There is a good analysis about all this on the site called Crux, which uh, lists a number of actions and reforms that Francis has already taken to get this under control. And we have mentioned several of those, so I won't go into it again, but we will link to it because I think it's pretty interesting to read its analysis. Last week, I talked about speculation about what will happen after Francis, uh, what his legacy will be and who will become the next pope, etc. But it's clear now that with all of these actions that he's taking, uh, he's really stirring things up. And there must be people now in the Vatican that are very worried about uh, if they will keep their job or even if they will be found out to have done something shady over the years. So that means that Francis is continuing not to make too many friends within the church (laughs) Uh, and i'm sure that several people would be glad to see him go
0: Mm. every single time that you mention the name peter spence (laughs) i cannot help but associate to peter Pan, and then the pirates come to my mind (laughs) and the whole thing gets derailed and and
2: then then you stop listening to what i'm saying i I understand yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) fantasizing about peter pan
0: sorry correction (laughs) (laughs) I do not fantasize about Peter Pan. Well, it's okay, Andras. You're allowed.
1: You just don't want to be an adult.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's right. Never grow up, Andras. I fantasize about the world of Peter Pan. Mm.
1: Anyway, that's all I
2: had uh, about Francis this week. So um, Mm. we'll give him a rest until next week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. And that means that we're moving on to the news items of which we have plenty this week.
1: Okay, yeah, so maybe I should start Mm -hmm. because a tourist from my federal country actually brought Corona or COVID back to the northern coast of Germany. So now our authorities or our government, they now warn against actually going on summer holidays at all. It's not a travel ban yet, but they strongly suggest that you don't travel at all because, I quote, the virus is not taking a holiday either. That's true. So Mm. they say if you really have to go, (laughs) you should always keep your distance, wear a mask, follow the instructions and so on. But uh-huh. the beaches on the German coasts are very busy and very full right now, so you can see how how hard it is to keep the distance actually. And uh-huh. yeah, the fear with the coastal regions are rising because they really afraid of um, getting people from North Westphalia yeah to bring more more COVID in. Yeah. And yeah, they say you should definitely check um, how many cases are around in the region you want to travel to and they say you shouldn't go into a holiday region that has a lot of cases like like the ones that are in lockdown right now or the rural areas also not not very positive right Oh, they are very positive because of positive cases but um <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> oh <laughs> bad joke <laughs> okay yeah but they say there are several several regions where you shouldn't go to but you should definitely always check before you actually go hmm.
0: do they specify as to how many cases uh, could be considered a lot or
1: mm, they didn't really say that but to give you an idea the county where I live in, mm-hmm. we have like point six seven cases in the last week, so like not even a full one. <laughs> I don't know how that number comes up, but okay.
2: <laughs> that's interesting.
1: Whereas like Gütersloh, the one that with the scandal, they had like I think at one at one day they had like two to four hundred. So yeah. that's a big difference.
0: That is a massive difference. Yeah. Oh my
2: god! Is there a lot of testing going on as well?
1: Yeah, still, ver- like it's, it's very good because Germany's still keeping up with that at least. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. All right. All right. So, uh, talking about testing, you've probably seen that a report is making rounds in the news, mostly online, that Spanish researchers in uh, Barcelona found SARS CoV 2 virus particles in a sewage sample from back in March 2019. Wow. The obvious reaction from a skeptic's and indeed an epidemiologist's point of view is to take the report with a pinch of salt. But COVID-19 conspiracy theorists uh, were really quick to pick it up and start citing this report as proof that the disease has been around for much longer and the current worldwide hysteria is generated by the lizard people over nothing. So what the heck is going on there? There are recent studies that indicate the presence of the novel coronavirus in Europe much earlier than previously thought. Uh, Some studies suggest that uh, the virus was circulating in France and Italy already in December 2019, but those studies are based on hospital cases and retrospectively confirmed by PCR tests as well, so the scientific community has basically no problem accepting that. Why would it? It's not implausible. It's a bit early because some some of these countries only reported their first cases in November, in uh, January, or even February, or even even later. So it's a little bit surprising, but it's not implausible. In fact, even the WHO said back in May that it wasn't even surprising, and countries should check their hospital records from that period to better understand the outbreak and to understand whether the outbreak actually happened much earlier than we previously thought. But what about this claim that even back in March 2019, it was present in Barcelona? Now, first we have to understand that this report, written by researchers of the University of Barcelona, was published as a preprint paper on uh, medRxiv, which is the preprint server for health science papers. This is something like a crowdsourcing peer review process. It's, it's pretty good. So it needs to be evaluated before we can start drawing conclusions, and it hasn't been evaluated properly yet. But what is it that they actually found? They analyzed samples from sewage in search of bits of RNA from SARS-CoV-2, something that has recently become a way of tracking the outbreaks in several countries. And this is possible because even though as the virus goes through the digestive tract, it breaks down and loses its infectiveness, parts of its genetic material remain and can be detected using PCR and a fluorescent probe which is a brilliant method. This was the method that that the Spanish uh, wastewater epidemiologists uh, used on frozen samples from between January 2018 and March 2020. So quite a long time period that they tried to identify the the presence of uh, SARS-CoV-2 They found evidence for the presence of the virus from January 2020, which is not very surprising. It's a month before the first officially confirmed cases were reported, but it's normal from before that the samples were all negative except for the one from march 2019 yeah there was this one month the sample for which contained particles of the virus at least according to their uh, result now that is a real what the fuck situation so it's suspicious (laughs) maybe they
2: just mislabeled it it was march 2020 and somebody just Printed the wrong year on it.
0: You know, that kind of error cannot be ruled out. And that is one of the reasons why it has to be taken with a pinch of salt. In order for the SARS CoV 2 to be detectable from a few hundred milliliters of wastewater, the virus should have been widespread in the local community. But neither before that nor afterwards (laughs) was it present according to these measurements. That's strange. So let's say that that was the case, that the virus was there, but then it had to stop for almost a year before it came back. Mm, And from an epidemiological point of view, let's just say it's not very likely. So there are all kinds of different reasons why it might have shown a false positive result. The problems with the specificity of the tests regarding these virus particles after a certain level of amplification, which is part of a PCR test, is one of them. There's also the possibility of contamination mm. with positive samples. So it happens in a lab environment occasionally. You, you mean shit Not, happens in the sewage? Huh? Shit happens. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, that is true. And other errors are being made occasionally in labs. For example, when preparing the sample for for the manager measurements or something like that. So here's a challenge for the scientific community independent lab analyses need to be carried out and if the result can be replicated then we have a whole new question to start finding the answers to <laughs> because then we have to figure out what the actual fuck happened there yeah. but until then let's not jump to conclusions no, doesn't oh.
2: seem very likely let
0: science run its proper course yeah, yeah, right yeah Okay,
2: so over to
0: your weekly
2: hydroxychloroquine update. So this never-ending story seems that we have to mention it every week now. There's two things to mention this week. And the first is that last Saturday, the WHO announced that they're stopping all further tests into whether hydroxychloroquine can treat COVID-19. And this affects 5,500 patients that are currently participating in 39 countries Mm. Uh, they are all participating in these uh, clinical trials and they will be terminated immediately not the patients the 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 tests will be
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) exterminate exterminate (laughs) (laughs) So, and this is
2: because uh, according to the WHO, hydroxychloroquine has shown no evidence to reduce mortality in COVID-19 patients. So, uh, and we've heard that for for weeks, actually. And interestingly enough, they said nothing about the tests regarding prevention of the disease, because there are those tests ongoing as well with hydroxychloroquine. So it seems that they will still go on, at least for the time being. Uh, And I could find no numbers on how many people... People are involved in that. Mm-hmm. The other thing I thought I'd mention was that uh, listener Andreas uh, took it upon himself to try to interpret Didier Raoul's strange statements from last week, that I quoted last week. Mm-hmm. And Didier said something to the effect that a study of a few participants is much more significant than a larger study, which made us uh, make strange faces and scratch our heads and wondering what the hell he was on about. But Andreas wanted to give Didier uh, Raoul the benefit of the doubt here and he speculated a little bit about what he actually meant. So He sent us an email. It's too long to read out, but basically he has a point. He says that maybe Didier talks about that if you have a substance with a large effect, you don't need a lot of participants because it'll be obvious that it works. But if you have a very low effect, you need lots and lots of participants to demonstrate that it has this very, very small effect. But if the effect is that small, then it's probably useless anyway. Yeah. So it may be statistical significant with a st- small uh, effect, but it's clinically not significant. Yeah. So I, I think Andreas's interpretation makes sense, but I also uh, agree with his closing remark, and I paraphrase it a little bit: that Didier probably knows what he means, but he is terrible at communicating it. So, <laughs> so I think uh, that's. Correct. So, but thanks for the feedback, Andreas. Appreciate it.
0: I think uh, part of your conclusion last time when you talked about that was something similar that uh, it might be that he knows what he's talking about, but he he doesn't know how to say it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just trying to be nice, actually. But uh, Andreas actually pointed out how it could be uh, a more correct statement, what he
0: said. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was really nice to read Andreas's um, explanation of the of the situation. From these, we can learn quite a, quite a lot. So uh, keep them coming, people. Absolutely, we are always very happy when we get any kind of feedback. Yeah. So the WHO, you mentioned the WHO, mm-hmm. and we uh, talk about them quite often. In fact. Throughout the, the COVID-19 pandemic, they've received quite a bit of attention from the public all over the world. And uh, they've been in the centre of the communication about the disease. And uh, different countries referred to back to them when they decided on healthcare measures as well. So it's uh, only fitting that uh, finally the WHO decided to launch a podcast. So the new podcast from uh, the WHO is called Health in Europe. And that is uh, covering the 53 member states of the WHO Europe region or European region. Uh, we've already talked about that, that it's not only Europe. <laughs> it's a much larger area. It's a much larger area. I have a very wide definition of what is Europe, yes. Yeah, so part of Asia is basically taken taken over by <laughs> Europe, apparently, <laughs> uh, at least in the, in the WHO's eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first episode has been published. By the time that this goes out, there will probably be even two. And uh, obviously, we will link to the web page. But I've been expecting something about COVID-19 as well, but it didn't happen. So what what they talked about was uh, the Health Evidence Network report. And um, they were talking about alcoholic drinks and how the poor labeling of alcoholic drinks led to misleading consumers about uh, what is in the bottle and uh, not giving them proper information. And not a single word about COVID-19, which in these troubled times, I think, is a bit of a surprise. Really? I yeah. think it's a poor choice of uh, topics at this time. But I have to say that um, the, the actual product that they put out, considering its its quality, is pretty good. So I do recommend it. I think it's, it was fifteen minutes, so yeah. it's uh, easy to listen to. Yeah, no, we welcome the competition, of course, and uh,
2: probably the reason why they didn't talk about COVID nineteen was that they knew that we are already
0: covering it so well on our podcast. Oh yeah, we talk talk a lot about it. Yeah, must, that's right. Must be that. <laughs> But we talk about other stuff as well, right?
1: Yeah, so from good news, so to say, to bad news, um, because the Ukraine is at a high risk for a polio outbreak. A commission for um, polio eradication found that out. They assessed the risk of transmission um, of the polio virus in 41 countries, and they found out that the risk in Ukraine is very high because right now only 30% of young children actually received all the necessary, uh, necessary doses. Of the polio vaccine. 30%? Yeah.
0: God. With polio, it's really not a uh, fuck. something to toy around with. Yeah, oh, my
1: God. Exactly. Yeah. Like, coincidentally, my granny just last week told me about a polio outbreak when she was little in her region. And she said that like neighbors actually lost two children and one uh, child after that was in a wheelchair. So it's it's really bad. It's not like a, a sickness you get as a child and you get over it, like a cold or something. It's really, it's really bad. And the problem is that the Commission found out that the vaccination coverage rate won't even reach 95 percent of like for the society by the end of the year so the herd immunity is already in danger too yeah. so it's, it's very problematic because as we just said yeah the only way to avoid polio complications like yeah respiratory failure paralysis or death is to get the vaccine and um, yeah, it's very, very problematic and very troubling. Yeah.
2: yeah. I wonder what it is with Ukraine and vaccinations. They are not very good at that to, be, to understate it. They were the top of the measles cases last year, now polio. I wonder what the hell is happening there.
0: Well, a lot is happening there. And uh, part of that is uh, what's coming from Russia. So they have this big brother that uh, keeps thumping on them. And it's I wouldn't really swap places with them at any given time. But with the Russia thing, I think Russia has a say and, and has his hands dirty with uh, Ukrainian political happenings as well. So recently, we can say that we keep hearing about Russian disinformation campaigns, right? Mm. And uh, not only meddling with the US elections... That, that is obvious, That one of the obvious examples, uh, but changing public discourse about virtually every topic, shifting debates towards absolute madness with uh, uh, spreading all kinds of bogus claims, distrust in public affa- offices and wreaking havoc all over the world. We mentioned last week that even the European Commission named Russia as one of the malicious actors out there when it comes to challenging official accounts of things like The COVID-19 pandemic or any other crisis that needs to be dealt with. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, that had something to do with uh, what's happening in the Ukraine with regards to polio as well. Mm. So if disinformation campaigns are successful and they seem to be very successful. And this one that I'm going to be talking about now focuses mainly on Ukraine, actually. So usually when these nefarious actions on Russia's part are revealed, they usually lead uh, lead to Russian high offices like the Internet Research Agency or IRA or GRU, which is the Russian military intelligence. And they've been identified as the actors behind all the disinformation campaigns coming from Russia, or most of them. But a social media analysis firm called Grafika, has found evidence that a third entity has been at work since January 2014. They name this cluster of actions Secondary Infection, and they only assume there is an actual entity behind these actions, based on the distinctive patterns they find found on all 2,500 incidents that took place on a range of 300 different platforms in seven languages. So this is how massive this operation is. They operate in a hit-and-run kind of fashion using burner accounts which is uh media accounts that are set up for the purpose of planting an idea and then they disappear so they don't keep it up they put together a fake account but they don't maintain it they don't use it to to gain audience and gain a large follower base and even though the platform was not the place for the largest number of actions the first to discover some of these suspicious accounts was actually facebook When they noticed some unusual activity in May 2019, they passed the data on to researchers of disinformation campaigns. The attribution to Russia was made by them first, by Facebook, but then it was reinforced as the research went on. So now it seems to be beyond question that it's coming from Russia. And Grafika published their results in a report that's more than 100 pages long. There's so much data gathered by them. And they also found that, unlike the other two Russian actors that I talked about in the field of disinformation, secondary infection worked as a provider of forged documents, uh, deepfake content, And all that kind of stuff that the ones playing the long term game, the other two, can use while they are building up a follower base uh, and use them to spread all the falsehoods. And it's very telling that the majority of these actions were targeted against Ukraine and they tried to paint the picture of the Ukraine as a failed state and an unreliable partner for countries outside the area so obviously ukraine is trying to establish uh, international partnerships with uh, the european union as well back in the time when uh, russia annexed crimea europe was among the first that spoke up against this uh, action so obviously the united united states is one of the targets as well europe as weak and divided is among the the main themes as well so they try to Establish this idea that uh, Europe is struggling and uh, the European Union will collapse because it cannot work out its um, internal problems and all that stuff. So imagine what what this um, entity does is that they plant these falsehoods, they plant the ideas, and then the others can pick up these ideas and run with them. And uh, this is how we, we have no idea where a certain idea comes from, but it circulates as a fact after a while. So it's definitely something that looks like a, a coordinated effort. So obviously the critics of the Russian government are being pictured as uh, morally corrupt, alcoholic, uh, even Angela Merkel was uh, found to be an alcoholic by them Ooh, really? so obviously yeah so they started spreading the Coming idea from russia where they drink nothing
2: but yeah vodka. obviously
0: uh, <laughs> and uh, mentally unstable leaders of uh, europe and uh, that all that criticism against the kremlin is uh, just western hypocrisy and uh, western political plots and all that stuff so this is pretty scary and it seems like russia is not sitting on their butts when it comes to mudding the waters and and uh, causing trouble but when you add all that to the fact that putin just got the green light from the (laughs) voters 78 percent of them in support of him staying in power until 2036 i have to say this makes me really nervous about our future yeah, so I do recommend checking out uh, everything about, about secondary infection. I could have told you a lot of things about their findings, but it's best to walk through it and uh, and finding out the numbers. Uh, when you look at the the dates, the actual dates, uh, the different months when their activities started to go up and you put together recent history <laughs> accounts, then you will find the connection. So, for example, uh, anti-immigration and uh, anti-Islam sentiment uh, was planted by these actors right at the time when the refugee crisis started in late 2015. So those are connections that that can be made when you actually walk through all the data that uh, Grafica gathered about this. Mm. Wow.
2: So... Uh, as misinformation goes this next news item is a little bit smaller in scale but still worth noting i would say i'm sure many of our listeners are familiar familiar with the movie fargo have you seen it no i haven't no okay you should it's a really good movie it's a very good movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, the brother, brothers Cohen, who who did it. it it's really, really good. Uh, and for those who have seen the movie, they may remember the famous scene where one of the bad guys put a dead body through a wood chipper, and the blood was squirting all over the the, the snow. There, it was quite a graphic and gory scene, uh, and somehow almost funny in the same way. So it's it's uh, just. Goes to show the Coen Brothers; they are very good at making uh, interesting movies. Anyway, that that guy <laughs> who was putting the body into the wood chipper right. uh, is actually a Swedish actor. He's called Peter Stormare in his new uh, in, in when he is in the U.S. In Swedish, it's Stormare. It's Stormare for, for your you international listeners. He's not exactly a top movie star, but he's been in loads of uh, Hollywood films in minor roles, usually as the crazy bad guy, sometimes with a Russian accent. He has a role in Armageddon with uh, Bruce Willis. He also was in the second Jurassic Park movie. He had a small movie in Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Hmm. Uh, He was in The Big Lebowski and he has popped up as a TV guest or a guest on TV shows such as Seinfeld. So he's famous, but not so famous guy, but very well known in Sweden. Pops up in commercials and celebrity shows over here. Uh, I like him as an actor, uh, but um, I've noticed before that he seems to have some very alternative views on the world. Uh, I think he believes in angels and other spooky stuff. (laughs) For a tough guy, it's quite funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why am I talking about this guy? Well, he has now produced a six-part documentary that is available on the Viasat network. And I don't know how well known that network is outside the Nordic countries, but I believe it exists in the UK and some other countries too. And this documentary series is called The Runestone and is about the famous... But uh, have you heard of that? No. No? 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 Okay. No. Good. Lots of news this week. <laughs> <laughs> we learn a lot. Yeah. We're we here to learn. So the Kensington stone is one of the most known room stones in America, and it was found in the 1890s by a farmer. But we know, sort of, that it is from 1362, because that's what it says on the actual stone red flag anyone yep uh, it's an obvious fake and uh, even i can see i i've looked it up on uh, on the internet as well and if i'm looking at a transcription on the of the text uh, because i can't really read the runes very well but if you translate that into uh, uh, normal letters I can understand the text more or less as Swedish. It's a bit archaic and a bit strange, but it's definitely much more modern than the language of any Viking. <laughs> uh, so, so it's a it's a fake. It's probably the most known fake of all times. Uh, everybody. Uh, agrees that it's bullshit. (laughs) But that didn't stop uh, Stormara to produce this uh, six um, uh, episode uh, documentary about it, promoting it as the real thing. And in the trailer, he and the local people that he interviews there in Minnesota, which which is where it was found they make uh, make clear references to conspiracy theories on and you know like all the researchers are too much too afraid to promote it because um, then they would immediately lose their jobs etc nonsense of course and the whole series is hopelessly sensationalistic with you know the, the kind of things like this is new information suppressed by everyone yada 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 and it's not just a stupid alternative history about vikings making it into the far into the continent and the american continent way be, before columbus but it's actually also damaging to to native american indians by by uh, suggesting that swedish people have claims to part of the country which go back much further than than the creation of the united states and i'm not quite certain because i haven't paid for to see this. I don't want to pay for it, but I I did see the trailer. But it seems that they also hint that some of the Swedish descendants living in Minnesota actually have been there since the age of the Vikings. Total nonsense and bullshit and uh, very sad to see
0: well, uh, yeah, there are places in North America where the Vikings were present, mm-hmm. parts of uh, Canada, they reached and uh, they even had a, a Viking establishment there, mm-hmm. a village, a small village that they found in Newfoundland. But yeah, that's about it.
2: They didn't make <laughs> it into Minnesota and when they did Definitely not make not. it into Minnesota, they did not yeah. carve a, a rune stone with modern Swedish on it.
0: So. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So what? What was this? Uh, the the name of this guy again? Uh, Peter Stormare. Mm, okay. Yeah. Heaven, heaven. No, no. But you ever. should. The only action movie star that I know <laughs> from Sweden yeah. is uh, Dov Lundgren. Uh, Okay, that's it. Yeah, he goes back a while. But if you see a a movie with him, like
2: uh, Minority Report, he has a great little side. There's a scene where it's quite brilliant. So he's a good actor. And in Armageddon, he is the guy up in the satellite or whatever it is, where they refuel on their way to the asteroid that's coming. There's a Russian guy there who is really running that like a petrol station. It's
0: absurd, but he's very funny. And he plays the Russian guy? He plays the Russian guy. (laughs) (laughs) nice okay from falsehoods to fake news (laughs) facebook has been identified as one of the sources of uh, and one of the greatest means of uh, spreading fake news and falsehoods and that occasionally leads to things like um, violent acts that uh, facebook fails to filter out when people celebrate these violent acts and uh, it obviously came to um the attention of the public when uh, george floyd was killed and the large-scale movement started black lives matter now facebook still refuses to change their company policies that uh, have been so beneficial financially to the company and uh, this is why they've been very hesitant uh, even though uh, fact-checkers including snopes for example that worked with facebook for two years as a fact-checking partner but some other fact-checking partners left facebook because when they made uh, certain recommendations as to how to change their policies, Facebook refused to do that and refused to listen to them. It tells us a lot about how the company doesn't really care about societal changes and problems. But uh, some people do. And there is this guy, um, Jim Steyer, you know, from the uh, Stanford University, and uh, he's a law professor. And he started a campaign that is called Stop Hate for Profit. And uh, it's working pretty well. Apparently, in the last couple of weeks, uh, 800 companies, large companies, large firms, international companies joined this um, initiative. And that is basically a Facebook advertising boycott. So they try to work around Facebook's uh, company policies and they try to make Facebook change all those and uh pay more attention to hate speech and uh not giving a platform to hate speech and obviously some people are uh speaking out against uh those policy changes because they say that um in order to counter hate speech the best way to do that is um to give platform to more debates and debate it out in the on the open, but uh, unfortunately, it's not how it works because for some reason, hate speech and everything that's emotionally driven is uh, much more uh, catching and that generates generates much more traffic. So this boycott seems to be working because uh, recently Facebook announced that. Uh, They are teaming up with um, a new fact-checking organization. This time it's Full Fact. We know Full Fact. Um, Mm -hmm. They do a very good job at uh, doing the fact-checking. We occasionally come across uh, something that they found. And um, they say that um, it's the media literacy campaign that uh, Facebook does jointly with Full Fact now. And uh, we will see how that happens. But that happened when 150 companies, including Coca-Cola, joined this uh, international Stop Hate for Profit uh, campaign. And uh, since then, a few hundred more joined this uh, campaign. So we will see if that is enough for uh, Facebook to actually try to do more about uh, countering falsehoods and uh, hate speech as well why i keep t- talking about the two as they were very similar and they were equal is because the roots the basis of hate speech is always some misleading information or mostly is misleading information so if we are open-minded enough if we are well educated and if we are well informed then uh, it should not happen um uh, to hu- uh, human societies so uh I think it's time for Facebook to do something about that. And uh, actually, there is another campaign that is uh, worth mentioning here, which is uh, promoted by Snopes, and that is Start Funding Facts. So apart from Stop Hate for Profit, Start Funding Facts is a counter project, basically. It's a counter campaign that uh, tries to generate support for uh, the fact-checking organizations that are struggling To make ends meet and survive including snopes that occasionally uh, puts out a post about how they would really appreciate some financial help so it's time for us to consider whether it's worth giving facebook some money even through advertisement by large companies and how much we would like to support fact check is it's it's funny how mark zuckerberg is so for free
2: speech until you threaten to take his advertising money away then suddenly he changes his mind
0: oh yeah ah, he's a cynical because that's been
2: his defense all along so no no we will not uh, interfere people are free to say whatever they want to Uh, until they stop paying him and then suddenly they can consider taking away hate speech.
0: Yeah, so this American law professor is just brilliant. I think this was a brilliant idea. (laughs) And I applaud these large companies for uh, going on board with this. So good direction.
1: Definitely. Something like you talked about Facebook, and I think that's something that is a bit difficult for some people in Cyprus right now, because in Cyprus, in the town of Limassol, Four mobile uh, telephone antennas actually um, suffered from arson attacks and um, authorities suspect a small group of people um, because limosol apparently is not... Super big. <laughs> but they don't uh, have a
0: lot of people, so it has yeah, to be by yeah. definition a small group of people. Well, Cyprus is not very big either. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> exactly.
1: yeah, at least for European standards. <laughs> <sighs> they were wa- the authorities now want to step up on their security measures around the five G antennas. They want to build more fences. They want to have more police patrols. It's but it's it's just sad that it has to come to this. Yeah. And the thing is that some 5g towers also belong to the other competitors like there is one major network apparently and but some also uh, belong to the other competitors that means phone connection and internet connection is and will be bad for weeks in Cyprus or at least in some regions of Cyprus and that's such a great idea during a pandemic i have to say to like not have any reception
0: uh, yeah crazy yeah and uh i haven't read anything about that how these actions are being organized and how these movements are being organized. But uh, if uh, anti-vaccination groups and um, COVID-19 conspiracy theory groups are of any indication of how these things usually get done, then Facebook has a lot of responsibility in this as well. So we, we, we're coming back to that again.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. All right. A little bit of a different topic, maybe on a lighter note uh, today when we have a German co host, how about we indulge in a little bit of Schadenfreude? <laughs> so <laughs> there is a known Swedish climate change denier called Sten Kaiser who is now turning 80, or in a couple of weeks, uh, on the 23rd of July. He is professor emeritus in mathematics and one of the founders of something called the Stockholm Initiative, a group of academics who have for a long time claimed that there is no threat of climate change at all. In 2016, he made a bet with a reasonable person, which he is not, uh, an engineer called Per Ribbing, who uh, disagreed with him, of course, and Kaiser said to Ribbing that before Kaiser t- turns 80, two out of three specified uh, well-renowned organization would admit that uh, climate change is just a hoax. These organizations were the Swedish Royal Academy of Sciences, the Royal Society in the UK, and the US National Academy of Sciences. So guess what? Doesn't seem likely that any of them will declare any such nonsense uh, before the 23rd of July. And Kaiser has now said that uh, Ribbing will get his money. However, he still maintains, of course, that he is right. It is a hoax. Uh, and the bet was not huge. It was 2000 Swedish kroner, which is roughly 200 euros. But still, it's the idea that counts. By the way, this is the third week in a row that I mention. Mention it, but the the Stockholm Initiative is also a former receiver of the Swedish Skeptics Confounder of the Year Award. <laughs> <laughs> so it, they seem to be making a comeback. These uh, former
0: um, recipients. Yeah, you keep listing them on the show. It's... No, no, they
2: <laughs> normally they keep quiet, but now they're all coming back in one way or another.
0: You should probably give them another award or something
2: yeah I I would say that for this guy though he put his money where his mouth is so he 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 made that bet so okay I'm glad he lost
0: actually I've I've been curious whether when you give this award to someone Mm -hmm. does it have any kind of effect apart from uh, the the person being ridiculed in the in the media and all over the uh,
2: yeah that we usually get uh, quite some uh, attention about that in in the media Mm -hmm. and they usually get rather pissed off and I, I, we still get emails uh, once in a while uh, about, especially about this uh, Stockholm initiative. We still get emails saying, uh, well, shouting at us, how could it be that we gave that award to them? They know what they're talking about, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, mm. so yeah, yeah, it makes a little
0: bit of an impact. I,
2: we, I hope. And I think, well, I don't
0: know what made this impact, uh, actually, but in Hungary, there has been some good news uh, recently. What? That must be the wrong country. (laughs) (laughs) You're confused, Uh, That can't be true. It probably started in 2015 when the Hungarian Academy of Sciences announced that uh, homeopathy should not be considered proper medicine because it doesn't live up to the standards of real medicine. And uh, then it was followed by the Scientific Advisory Board of the European Academies that uh, basically said the same thing. And uh, now the final changes seem to be appearing in Hungary. Back in 2019, January 1st of 2019, there was a law amendment to uh, one of the laws regarding how can uh, homeopathic products uh, be marketed. And uh, the problem was before that, That there were homeopathic products on the market that were registered before we joined the EU. So European-level legislation did not take place right away as we joined the European Union. So it had to be somehow incrementally invoked. And that happened recently when uh, on July the 1st, so last week, the changes took effect. And from July the 1st, 2020, there is no homeopathic product that can be marketed with any kind of therapeutic indication or recommendation, which wasn't previously the case. So there were a lot of homeopathic products on the market that had actual therapeutic indications, which is one thing that made most of the consumers believe that they are actual medicine because there were indications as to what to use it for use them for but the problem is that uh, these were not registered under the so-called uh, simplified registration process but the normal registration process but how they managed to register these products mm. is a mystery because then that means that uh, they would have had to have placebo controlled double-blind clinical tests proving their efficacy and obviously that wasn't the case but those with the simplified registration process they were not allowed to use any kind of indications or recommendations uh, or, or make claims regarding their therapeutic effect so from now on only those remain that are uh, within the simplified uh, process, so they cannot use the therapeutic um, indications. So they can only use in their advertisements the name and the title of the product. So nothing else. It cannot cannot even say that it's good when you're um, you're having troubles breathing or uh, if you're coughing. Uh, try this one because that would be actual therapeutic indication Uh, so there have been a couple of changes Uh, some products some uh, marketers decided to withdraw their uh, products from market some decided to go for this uh, no indication kind of approach but what's important in this is that the next time someone wants to market a homeopathic product in hungary and want to use some kind of therapeutic indication they would have to provide the same kind of rigorously conducted research data that uh, any other kind of drug on the market has to.
2: Of course they should. Why should some kinds of so-called medicine have a short track and don't have to do that? It's crazy. Yeah. But it's good that it's keeping up now. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, very good news. And I've got some other good news um, Hmm. because a German TV channel um, produced a short documentary about conspiracy theories and fake facts and um, they actually very shortly interviewed our friend and fellow skeptic Holm Hümmler. Ah. about the topic Mm, Mm -hmm. and he's like he's a bit of an expert for that phenomenon and also its connection to the alt-right movement so um here he is talking about the moon landing conspiracy and explains why um the claims are wrong like why they're actually not proof for the moon landing being um, a conspiracy and um, what i found interesting is that although the show is called something like conspiracy theories Holm Himmler actually prefers the term conspiracy myth because he says a theory is either a colloquial word for an idea or it is a term for a scientific work like theory of evolution which is not like something that you like oh yeah maybe it's right or wrong but it's something that's definitely proven Um, so he's actually arguing that it should be called Conspiracy Myth. And I found that, yeah, that interesting that they named it differently. Yeah, he has a point. <laughs> yeah.
2: He's quite right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And Conspiracy the show myths, will be yeah. online on the streaming platform. So we will, of course, link to that. Yeah, but of course, it's also German. So <laughs> might not be for every listener of the show.
0: Well, but uh, at least 100 million people in Europe will be capable of listening to it. Plus those who are comfortable uh, listening to Yeah, exactly. German, which is a nice language, by the way. <laughs> All right. I like it when we finish uh, the news segment with positive news. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you very much. And moving on to finding out who's been really wrong lately. Or? (laughs) (laughs) Or? Yeah, or right.
2: (laughs) Today, again, we have a Really Right Award to hand out. And it comes to us from uh, Mikael via our Facebook page. Thanks for that. And also, of course, thank you, Annika, for helping me to sort out the details. Google Translate only takes me so far. <laughs> so
0: we, we <laughs> yeah. had
2: a back and forth over a messenger a couple of hours ago just to make sure that I got this right. So feel free to, to step in if I still got something wrong. But this is a positive news item, but it still points to troubling trends at the same time. Uh, there is a secondary school in the city of Merse, called, and hang on, and please correct me, Schol Gesamtschule Mörs, or something to that effect. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, for those like me who had to Google Mörs on a map, it's situated in North rhine westphalia in Western Germany, not too far from Düsseldorf and not too far from Annika, I believe. But anyway, at this school, the students initiated a project called, in translation, something like My Tinfoil Hat Against Twisted Ideas. <laughs> and it's all about the subject of conspiracy myths, I should say, conspiracy theories, uh, so-called Corona rebels or opponents of vaccinations and, and other conspiracy uh, theories like that. Uh, All good, Uh, we need to fight such things. Uh, Initially they did have the school's support, or at least it was tolerated by the school. But the whole thing blew up when the school started to receive a lot of hate mail and threats. And then the principal of the school got cold feet and cancelled the project bloody coward. (laughs) There was an official statement from the school that in the autumn the school will again take up critical thinking and such things with the students, but in other forms. So um, it won't come back. However, the students are not giving up uh, so easily and they got support from a local political party. And this party is simply called Die Partei, which means uh, the party. So it's a local, I think it was started like more like, a, like not a hoax, but like a sort of a, a satirical thing, but it became a real party. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and normally we, we don't want to support political parties as such, but when something someone does something good, I think it's worth mentioning. I, I mean, we criticize other parties when they say stupid things, so we can do that. Uh, Die Partei took over management uh, especially of a photo competition that was initiated by the by the students and there they will now award a prize for the best picture of a tinfoil hat <laughs> uh, the competition is still only open for students at this school and the winner winner will be rewarded 100 euros so that's nice But it's really bothering me that conspiracy nuts are so many and so threatening that they can bully critical thinking and people who try to stand up for evidence-based facts. But I'm very happy that some people do resist this. Um, But it's crazy that it should be necessary. So, for standing up against conspiracy theories or myths and vaccine deniers and such nonsense, the students at Geschwister Scholl Gesamtschule Mörs Gets today's (laughs)
0: prize for being really right. And of course, the principal gets a really wrong
2: award for being such a coward.
0: Mm, Good for them. Mm. And uh, congratulations. Well deserved. And that means that the show is coming to an end. But before we go, I think we need to pull out a nice quote. I managed to find a nice quote from... Louis Pasteur and it goes like this I am utterly convinced that science and peace will triumph over ignorance and war that nations will eventually unite not to destroy but to edify and that the future will belong to those who have done the most for the sake of suffering humanity Mm.
2: Well, I, I wish I could share his optimism. And sometimes I do, uh, but sometimes it feels rather hopeless. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope he is right or was right.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I d- do share this optimism, but occasionally it is. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Occasionally it's being shaken, but uh, we have to move on and we have to just keep going and uh, have some belief in humanity. All right, so... Annika and Pontus, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: and uh, thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Hello. Cheers. I don't know how you can be believe. I'm your host, András Pinter, and join me for the show. <laughs> <laughs> Almost made it. And it's the easy part that I cannot do. Yeah, yeah.
2: Breaking down bridges and building down episodes. What? What? Yeah.
0: What? No, what? sorry. I'm no. messing with you. It's not what I said. I hope. No, you said it right. <laughs> I can fix it in post. Okay, now Siri is acting up on me. <laughs> <laughs> Siri thought that I was saying something. Oh, and it does it again because I'll say his say name. Ah <laughs> Maybe you should stop saying that name. Yeah. So <laughs> you know who. <laughs> Trying to find a segue. Yeah. <laughs> oh. No, it was a bit of an odd topic. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> that nations will eventually unite to destroy. <laughs> Unite (laughs) not to destroy. (laughs) Fuck. Come on, Andras, you can do it. I can do it.